What's going on? Welcome to the Mike Janella Show. You already know who I am, and this week we have, it's college basketball season, conference play is heating up, March is just around the corner, so we have the voice of the St. Joe's Hawks, among many other things that we're going to get to in just a little bit, but it's Matt Martucci, uh, live from out on, the, out on the roads in the middle of Philly, trying to get home. Is that right, Matt? What's the traffic update? I feel like we're doing a little local radio here. Yeah, 76 East, Mike. We're, uh, we're bumper to bumper, cruising along at about uh, 5 to 10 miles an hour, uh, backing up along Broad Street, but looks like we're, uh, we're getting into the clear here. Man, you can uh, add you can add traffic reporter to the the cavalcade of stuff you have on your resume. <laughs> How you doing, man? How's your New Year so far? I, I, I'm good, man. I'm good. New Year is uh, is off to a great start. Uh, St. Joseph's is is having a great start to the year, great start to conference play, and uh, yeah, like you said, I, I'm I'm definitely keeping busy, uh, running from job to job, but really wouldn't have it any other way. Really enjoying myself, so so things are going well. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. We'll get to St. Joe's in a little bit because they are having a great season and uh, something that I think is definitely worth talking about. And you've been there uh, six, seven years now. Is this your seventh season? Seven seven years doing the men's games. It's actually 10 years overall. Oh, congrats. Uh, Three years of women's games uh, before I ended up getting the promotion to the men's job. So, yeah, it'll be – Actually, it'll be 10 years in the fall, so 10 years next fall. Nice. I'll have been there. Yep. Hope, hope they have a watch or a party ready for you or something. All right. We'll, we'll get to them <laughs> I'm not, later. I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> we'll get to them later. But first, let's let's tick down on everything you got. You've got – I mean, St. Joe's obviously is the main gig, but you're also – you do some play-by-play still, right, for One World. You do updates at Sirius. Uh, are those the three main gigs? What else do you have? Because uh, the list, I'm sure, is long. I don't want to leave anything out. A little bit of play-by-play at an outfit called Campus Insiders that covers the Patriot League, the Mountain West, uh, and some other outfits. And then uh, the occasional gig for for Fox Sports Regional, mostly uh, Fox South, uh, down south. Um, You know, typically Atlanta and Virginia and and places like that. That's where uh, most of my events have been, Charlotte. But uh, yeah, I think you you did a pretty good job hitting on it. And uh, a little bit of sports talk here in Philadelphia for 97.5 The Fanatic. Uh, but that's uh, that's kind of sporadic with all the play-by-play stuff uh, right. that I have going on. So yeah, I think you you did a pretty good job of, uh, of running <laughs> the gauntlet there, hitting the spectrum. Well, it helps because you have a freaking Wikipedia page. How cool is that? How does that feel to be that big time? You know what's funny about that? Somebody brought that up to me. One of my buddies from high school. Um, I grew up about an hour and a half outside of Philadelphia, up in the Pocono Mountains, and um, a couple of my friends from high school were down here. And I didn't even know it existed, honestly, until a friend of mine sent me a text. And I have no idea who put that together. Um, I, I should probably edit it because I'm sure not, not all of it is accurate. Well, you but, can't. And, and people find – they find that out. They're really good about if someone – like if you were to go edit your thing, they'd probably change it back even though you obviously know the facts. You can't right, do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I know. I know. It, it, it happens all over the place too. No. Uh, <laughs> A lot of different situations where uh, where that ends up happening. Yeah, I've seen that before. You get you get like the uh, the instant instant alert or notification, and um, yeah, and then people change it right back. Man, I'm the, very the, jealous. The, I've been dropping hints around like every birthday year. Like, oh man, it'd be great if somebody that I didn't know, wink wink, <laughs> could like make me one. But you have one, and I don't. So like. Oh, uh, yeah. Happy happy 28th birthday. We didn't know what to get you, so we got you a Wikipedia. Dude, it would be the best gift I'd ever get, to be honest. But <laughs> So if anyone listening, yeah, take hints now for me for next year, uh, July 2nd. Yeah, so your calendars. Honest, honestly, I have no idea uh, how that came about. But yeah, it's it's cool. Um, you know, for somebody uh, uh, somebody that, you know, in my mind, I'm hopefully just, just scratching the surface right. in terms of uh, this industry. It's cool to have something like that. It's uh, 
it's it's flattering. Uh, it's very flattering. So how'd you end up at St. Joe's? It's been you know ten years now there, seven with the men, uh, serious fanatic. I mean, you listed everything you've been to. How how'd you get there? Because I'm sure a lot of people you talk about just scratching the surface, but I'm sure some people that don't have any idea what the industry's like or are maybe getting started in it themselves. And to them, you're you know you're big time. You're accomplished already. So how'd you get from starting to where you are now? Uh well, like like everybody else who typically graduates from a broadcast program and has done some play-by-play on on radio or nowadays more and more kids are getting to do tv uh, with me it was it was more radio play-by-play uh, up at syracuse at waer being able to to put together a resume tape at the student radio station and then sending it out to a bunch of places for for job openings and i can remember some of the places that, that i sent things to i think uh the salem avalanche high a minor league baseball that was one uh, there was a minor league team in Stockton, California. There was a women's basketball job uh, for Siena women's basketball. If you're not familiar with Siena, I know you are, Mike, but our audience, Loudonville, New York, uh, <laughs> outside of Albany. Yep. And to give you an idea of how competitive this industry is, 130 people ended up applying for the Siena women's basketball job. And I ended up being one of five finalists. And it, it ended up being that I, uh, I didn't end up getting that job. The, the woman who actually set up my interview uh, apparently didn't schedule it right or there was some sort of miscommunication between the two of us because I never actually had my interview with oh. the head coach. So the head coach of the women's basketball program up there was supposed to call me. I never got a phone call. And they basically made the decision without me ever getting the interview for the Jeez, job. Jeez, one of the so, great what-ifs in Siena Saints history. Yeah, it was, uh, it was one of those uh, interesting situations that, uh, that would only happen in, in broadcasting. But uh, it ended up working out that a friend of mine from college, uh, my buddy Matt Chasnow, who's now the uh, another uh, you know pretty uh, accomplished guy, the voice of Washington State now, football and basketball, just got that job this past year after uh, um, a few years with, with uh, IMG and previously I- ISP Sports, where, if I remember right, you used to do some work. Yeah, Matt um, was technically a boss of mine, I think, for one season. Um, yeah, yeah, I did Villanova down there. Yeah, so there you go. So Matt, Matt was... Uh, close with a guy that was the women's basketball manager at St. Joseph's at the time. And when Matt was looking for jobs, there was potential that they were going to be looking for somebody to do their women's basketball home games. And Matt ended up uh, passing on that because he had gotten a job with, at the time, ISP, got hired to, to move down to Winston-Salem and do some hosting and some other stuff. And I, I reached out to Matt because I, I love Philly. Philly has been my home media market basically since I was a kid. I've lived in Pennsylvania my whole life. So reached out to Matt. Matt um, ended up pointing me in the right direction, contacted the sports information director, Marie Wozniak, who I still work with uh, to this day, and ended up getting an interview after uh, kind of a, a couple of months of back and forth playing phone tag, sending a resume CD, having them listen to it, and then coming in and sitting down in, in August or September for a position that was going to, to start with women's basketball games in November. And that kind of ended up parlaying into doing video features for the website and filling in and hosting Phil Martelli's coaches show if they needed me and doing the occasional men's basketball game for, uh, at the time, Tom McCarthy, who's now with Westwood One and CBS and the voice of the, the Philadelphia Phillies on TV. So it, it 
felt like a, a pretty good springboard, a pretty good place to start. I, I was always one of those guys who said, you know what, I, I, I believe in my own ability, and I, I believe that if I'm going to do this, I would like to try and take a shot at it and make it in a big market right off the bat and not have to, to try and go out to the middle of Montana or Rapid City, <laughs> South Dakota, or, or whatever it happens not to be. Not that that isn't a viable career path, but no, yeah, it's, no, no, it's, no. And, and it's I, great to aim high. I, I mean, I, I have... I have friends that I could count on on one hand, two hands that have started that way and are doing fantastic things yeah. uh, and doing doing way better stuff than I am. My <laughs> buddy Anish Shroff started out in Yakima, Washington, uh, even after he had been on ESPN's Dream Job, and he was a phenomenal talent, still is a phenomenal talent, and ended up working his way to ESPN. But I, that just didn't seem like it was the career path that that I wanted to take. I wanted to see if if I could stay stay close to home, be close to my family. My parents are, are a little bit older, so I, I wanted to, to try and stick around and, and try and spend as much time around here and be an hour, an hour and a half away. Uh, that seemed pretty ideal to me. So I, I was able to do that. And then the St. Joseph's women's job, through St. Joseph's, I was able to get a, a men's basketball job at a Division three school at a historically uh, um, African-American university, Lincoln University, about an hour south of Philadelphia, down Route 1. They were looking for somebody, the first play-by-play announcer in in their school's history, wow, to, to, to do games to do games on the radio down there on a tiny AM station uh, down in Westchester. I believe it was if I think it was WCCO WCCO Radio was where I ended up doing games for Lincoln University, and I wouldn't trade those experiences for the world because I was, uh, um, if you will, I was I was kind of the guess I was the token white guy. Um, <laughs> you know, I was the the only white guy, and and they treated me like like I was one of their own. It was it was fantastic. It was it was really really great. I never never felt out of place. And you know, if you've ever been in a been in a room where where you're the only person of a particular race or a particular ethnicity, you know, sometimes uh, that can feel a little uncomfortable. And we often hear situations like that uh, from a reverse perspective. And and we wonder what that's like. So I, I kind of got to experience that on a, on a much smaller scale. Um, but they, they were great. They were fantastic. I made some friendships and um, some lifelong contacts that, contacts that I'll never forget. We went to, to Disney World uh, for a tournament down there that was played at the Orlando Magic's practice facility. Dwight Howard's rookie year down in Orlando. So that was pretty cool. Uh, and I ended up seeing probably the only 200-plus point game uh, that I will ever see in the history of, of my lifetime, at least in, in college basketball. Lincoln University, in a tournament in Salem, West Virginia, beat Ohio State Marion campus 201-78. to 78. Wow. Oh, you uh, meant 200 beat, by one team. I thought you meant yeah. combined. No, wow. no, no, no. Wow. Two, 201-78. to 78. Jeez. It made national headlines on ESPN, some of it for, for the wrong reasons. Yeah, yeah. Uh, running up the score. That's rough. Yeah. One of their guys ended up hitting 21 threes. Uh, a guy named Sammy Wiley, um, and yeah, I remember it like it was clear as day. I I kind of wish I still had that tape. I don't think I do though. Oh, that's a you gotta be a keeper when you get when you get something like that. That one goes right to the archive. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure the recording equipment was was all that up to date <laughs> back then. But uh, yeah, that that was that was a fantastic experience. So from those two jobs, that jumped to minor league baseball. I made some contacts down in Atlantic city because I figured if I'm already doing stuff in Philadelphia and my family spends some time at the Jersey shore in the summer, why not try and do some minor league baseball down at the Jersey shore? 
So made the, the proper contacts, put myself in, in position to, to get their radio job. They, they weren't really paying a whole lot, but I didn't really care. I was going to get a chance to live down at the Jersey Shore and do minor league baseball in Atlantic City. So, you know, for a 22, 23, 24-year-old kid to be able to, to go to the beach a couple times a week and then, and then you know, middle of the day, mid, yeah, yeah, middle of the day, go to the ballpark, work on game notes, be ready for, for everything to, uh, to be ready by first pitch that night around 7 o'clock every night and then get up and do it all over again. That was pretty cool. That was uh, a, a really fun opportunity. So that uh, led to that. And then after uh, about three years of doing St. Joseph's, uh, this is the kind of the, the oddest thing. And, and it's one of those things in our business where sometimes weird things happen and you just scratch your head and you say, how did that happen? Or, or why did that happen? And how did I end up benefiting from this? Uh, Harry Callis, who was a childhood idol of mine, was the, the longtime Philadelphia Phillies announcer and you know, did Westwood One games and uh, NFL films as a as a voiceover uh, voiceover artist. There he was basically the voice of the NFL on NFL films for years after John Facenda had done it. Harry ended up passing away in the booth in in April, I think, uh, of my third year doing uh, the St. Joseph's game. So Harry passed away in the Phillies TV booth, and Tom McCarthy got elevated to to Harry's job, and then. When Tom was ready to come back for St. Joseph's, the opportunity presented itself for Tom to coach his then teenage age children, now college age uh, children in, in basketball. So all of a sudden, with, with the elevated position with the Phillies and with the, the TV work that Tom was getting, St. Joseph's kind of became you know, lower on the, on the priority list. And, and I ended up benefiting for that. And it's odd to say, but I had only ever met Harry Callis once. But because of a, of a twist of fate, it's so odd to say and, and so weird to even think about. In an odd way, because Harry Callis passed away, I ended up getting a promotion at St. Joseph's. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's such a weird thing. Like you and said, it's it, the it's, kind of industry it, that leads to those types of connections and sort of, you know, dynastic uh, progression from, you know, one generation to another. Especially in a town right, like Philly right. where people, you stay there for a while. Yeah, you stay there for a while, and and we're really hard, as you know. You know, being a being you're a New York City guy, yeah, if I remember yeah. right. Yeah, being being a New York City guy, you know, you know, big city, big media market. You're typically hard on your teams, but not only are you hard on your teams, you're hard on your announcers. So, uh, replacing uh, a guy like Tom, I, I had what I felt like were some pretty big shoes to fill. What sometimes I I still feel like even six or seven years in. That I have some shoes to fill, <laughs> but uh, it, it was a fantastic opportunity. They showed enough confidence in me over there at St. Joseph's, where they brought me in and told me that they liked what I had been doing, where I had filled in for Tom. I had done about uh, in that last season because Tom's TV work had increased during college basketball. I had done probably four or five men's games that year, and they were were happy with the work that I had done and. Uh, brought me in and said, you know what, we're, if the job's yours, if you want it, we're not going to interview anybody else. And, uh, that's I, a nice thing to hear. It's a good yeah. Feeling <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, it really speaks to, uh, I think the work that I was putting in and, and for them, it, you know, it was, it was really flattering and refreshing to know that they believed in me at, at that point, a 25, 26 year old guy, three years removed from Syracuse, you know, that, that I could actually do that and that I would be capable. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not, not going to 
going to lie to you and say that it was it was a seamless transition right off the get go. Um, I, I think that that first year or two, you know, there were certainly some growing pains. Joe and I, Joe Lenardi and I, getting used to each other, getting used to calling games together. And I, I think when you're a younger announcer too, you know, sometimes your confidence with reps and, and having done games, you have to build that on the fly. You have to build that as you continue to do more games and as you continue to get more and more comfortable beyond the mic because. You know, at that point, I was still fairly green. I had probably done, you know, maybe maybe 40 or 50 women's basketball games. And if you count the, the stuff I had done at Syracuse, maybe 15 or 20 men's games. And, so, and you weren't doing this, like you say earlier, in Yakima with a guy who's your age doing it for the first time, too. You're in there with Joey Brackets, and it's a, you know, a top-five market, and it's, it's right into the fire. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, where, you know, people – people will scrutinize you and people will write about you on message boards. And you know, that, that comes with the territory though. And it, it's something that you and I, when we were in school, they always said this, if you don't have thick skin in this industry, Get out. what do you do? What are you, what are you doing here? Get out. Uh, we, we had a professor a well, at least there was a professor that the Newhouse school of communications that I remember would flat out tell people would tell, would tell women if they, if they weighed too much that they, they had to had to drop weight or even men or women, it wouldn't even really matter. They would, uh, or they would say, you know, you're not good looking enough. There was one, one particular guy that comes to mind, um, that would do this. Um, I never actually had him for classes, but, uh, I can remember, uh, other people telling me horror, yeah, stories, the horror about, stories, yeah, the horror stories about, uh, about some of those TV classes where it was like, you need to lose 15 pounds. Wait, what? Huh? Are you really the brutal honesty? Brutal honesty is uh, is something that exists in this industry, and you know if you don't have the the right mentality and the right approach to it, you can get eaten alive. I mean, ask ask anybody that works in Philly or New York; you're, you're <laughs> definitely under the microscope. So let's talk about you know so now basically we're at present day, and you've got all these different things, and you're I mean you're up you were up today at like four a.m. on a train to New York, right, from Philly to do some update stuff. Yeah, last night we had Phil Martelli's coaches show. Uh, Joe Lenardi typically hosts that. So that was over down the, down the road from St. Joe's about five or 10 minutes from campus. I drove home afterwards. The show got done at about seven 30 last night. Uh, I hosted with Phil Martelli, drove home to South Jersey, you know, caught a few hours of sleep and then jumped on a, a train because I had a morning shift scheduled at Sirius where my first update this morning was 7am. So what's, it's, li- it's live. Right. So. so you can't miss that. So, nope. so during basketball season, what's I mean, what's a peek into the schedule? You've got obviously short nights, early mornings, very early mornings, long days. Uh, you know, we're talking right now at seven thirty at night, and you've been up or you were on a train at four to get started at seven a.m. Give me the the Monday through Sunday. I think a lot of people think you're a game broadcaster. You just show up for tip off, stay a couple minutes afterward, you're done. But especially for you, when you're doing a couple other things as well, what's uh, what's your your day book looking like? Typically, you want to you want to try and get ahead on your prep. Uh, I I like to to try and keep it at least an opponent ahead, where I've kind of started to to memorize names, numbers, put them into um, a Microsoft Word template with you know name, number, player information, stuff like that. High schools, how many points a game they average, rebounds, field goal percentage, all that stuff. A couple of four or five facts of, about each guy, and then obviously team information. So that starts sometimes as, as you know, early as a week uh, before you have an opponent. 
and then you know typically you get done with one and you're you're ready to go to the next one but to to give you kind of a, a picture of my week this week uh, like I had mentioned yesterday uh, woke up did a bunch of prep for the the UMass game which is tomorrow night uh, ended right, up so we're talking on a Tuesday so the game is yeah, on a this, Wednesday and you're yeah. referencing a Monday beginning of the week it's when you start your prep for Wednesday yeah, start well, and, and well, sometimes, not start, but yeah, yeah, not most start, recent, but, yeah. but yeah, pick up, pick up from what I had done over the weekend during the blizzard. Uh, after the <laughs> uh, this, this was kind of a quick turnaround too, because LaSalle ended up getting pushed back by a day, but it also helped because my my LaSalle prep was done on Friday anyway for a Saturday game, so I, I had an extra day, so that ended up helping. Get, got to get a jump on UMass, but uh, yeah, basically Monday did some more prep for for this game that's tomorrow night about. 2.33 o'clock, get in the car to make a, a half-hour drive over to the restaurant that, that houses this radio station. I'm kind of a one-man band in that uh, I engineer our broadcasts and I produce them as well. So I have our broadcasting equipment with me. Uh, I'll load it into the car. The distance from the radio station or the, the, the restaurant where this show is to my house is about 35 minutes. Jump in the car, get there by, by 3.30, 4 o'clock to get everything set up and ready for a show that last night is typically on at seven o'clock, but last night because of a scheduling conflict, uh, ended up being at six. So ended up getting over there, uh, doing that show, getting back, like I said, uh, between eight o'clock and, and eight 30. And then by the time, uh, my wife and I kind of sorted out some, some schedule things. She, she keeps me on top of everything. We have a, a calendar that kind of lists everything that's going on. There's an awesome app called the hub that we use where you can, you can kind of add events and, and schedule things. Uh, so you know where, where the other person is, you know, basically if you need them, uh, not at all hours of the day, but, but you know what the breakdown of their day is typically like. So we talked about a couple of schedule things, watched a little bit of TV and then I was in bed and on my way to Trenton, which is uh, about a 40 minute drive from my house, uh, at about three o'clock this morning, to make a 4.22 a.m. train. So I made that train, got up to New York City, did an update shift from about 6 o'clock in the morning until 1 o'clock in the afternoon when my last update was. Was on a 2.07 train back into Trenton. Uh, ended up driving from Trenton to Philadelphia and taking in a film session with St. Joe's uh, and Phil Martelli, watched the end of practice, and then uh, we do what's, what's called our scouting report and, and their film session where they, they kind of walk the guys through each matchup and each player and what kind of defenses UMass is going to run, what they're going to do on offense and all kinds of stuff, defensive matchups, everything you could possibly think of, they cover it in that scouting session. So I, I tend to like to be there for that, uh, usually the day before the game, just so I, I know what I'm going to see the next night. So uh, I did that. I'm sitting in traffic right now. Uh, <laughs> tomorrow night or tomorrow morning, I will... Um, I'll get up. I'll 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 get home tonight. I'll I'll finish some some last minute prep. Uh, I'll get up tomorrow, and if there's anything that that needs to be done uh, for the the rest of the broadcast in terms of getting ready, I'll finish that early tomorrow morning. Make my way over to a Staples or a FedEx office and get my spotting boards printed, and then again about midday, probably about three o'clock or so, I'll get ready to make my way over to the arena for a game that starts at seven o'clock, and then the next morning I am. Uh, back on and well not an early train i'm actually driving into new york uh, on thursday for another update shift at sirius and then heading from there to stamford connecticut where uh friday is a khl russian hockey broadcast 
for uh, One World Sports, calling a game, a hockey game off a monitor with the team from Helsinki, Finland, and uh, uh, another one from Russia. So I'll do that uh, Friday morning, and then I will drive from Stamford to meet St. Joseph's up in uh, Kingston, Rhode Island, actually Newport, Rhode Island, where our team hotel is for uh, an Atlantic 10 game with Rhode Island on Saturday. And then I'll drive back after the game on Saturday night. And then uh, Sunday, if I'm lucky, I'll get to spend a few hours with my wife and maybe uh, maybe watch some TV or, or a movie or something I actually, uh, you know, something mindless that I don't really have to think about. A nine to five, your life is not. So what... So a couple of follow-ups from all that, because it's just, it's an insane schedule. But like you said earlier, I'm sure you wouldn't want it any other way. And it keeps yeah, you on your toes. I, I didn't mean to give you a seizure there with, uh, <laughs> with, with, with all that stuff. But, uh, no, but I, I kind of dig it because I think routine gets boring for some people after a while. Yeah, so I think having something new all the time is good. So a couple – so I guess I have three questions. So number one – What's your tips for going on such little sleep some nights? You know, you mentioned you're up at three after a night working before. Are you a caffeine guy? Are you, uh, I mean, coffee? What's, are you just naturally energetic all the time? How do you get by without any, without getting your eight hours every night? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't tell you that I'm just naturally energetic. I mean, I, you've known me long enough to, to know that I'm a pretty passionate guy. So, yeah. so that, that bleeds through, uh, I think, but I learned probably about two or three years ago that I was going to have to start to drink coffee or otherwise it, it just wasn't going to work <laughs> out. Um, I am not a morning person. I've, I've never been. Uh, and that, that goes back from doing sports casts at, at WAER radio in Syracuse, getting up at 4 a.m. to write casts that weren't even going on the air, uh, that were just getting listened to by, by another student, to doing morning updates uh, on the local station, 97.5 The Fanatic here in Philly, where I was doing local updates during uh, the Mike and Mike breaks um, on our local station, and then to to now doing these early morning shifts where you know I'm commuting from South Jersey to New York City to try and get there for a, a 7 a.m. first update. So I, I, I need caffeine to function. There's actually there's one particular drink. I hope uh, I hope I'm not breaking any rules since this is uh, this is uh, just uh, your own thing. So if I mention like a, a, a brand, no, I don't care, man. They're not paying me. If like they want to pay me to get, yeah, if they want to pay like me to get featured, that's fine. But go ahead. I've grown like the Starbucks uh, coffee energy drinks, the, the double shot coffee energy drinks. They're they're the big ones. Um, I'm probably killing myself slowly, or or in some cases <laughs> quickly, uh, with with as, as many of those as I end up having in a week. Um, but uh, I've found that that they're really really helpful. I think you have to have some sort of dependency on something, but but then again, there are people that I know. Jason Benetti, who who you also know, I think, uh, just got the just Chicago got the White, White Sox, Sox job. Yeah. One of my yeah, one of my really really good friends, uh, one of my best friends from college, going through broadcasting, doesn't drink caffeine. Is just just naturally energetic and and insists on getting his you know getting his between six and eight hours most nights. So it. I think it works differently, you know, for most people. It's a matter uh, of what you want to on... sacrifice, right? I'm sure if you didn't want to watch right. TV or you didn't want to go to the gym or whatever your person's vice or preference is, yeah, you can cut stuff out, but it's what you want to keep and what you want to get rid of. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, with uh, with owning a home and, and being married and, and things like that, you know, and eventually, uh, not not just yet, but... But when kids start to come into the picture, that's that's obviously going to be something that's that's going to need to be factored in too. You know, how do you how do you balance your time? I think 
that's that's the the hardest thing for for anybody in this industry. It's it's still something that that I fight a battle with day in and day out. How do I manage my time to the to the best of my ability? And my wife gets on me about it all the time. Sometimes if my attention span ends up drifting, which in this day and age with the phones and the tablets and God knows what, it's it's really easy to do, but but she'll always be on me and stay on me and and be like, "Hey, you know, why'd you stop doing your chart? Why'd you stop filling out your UMass chart? Aren't, shouldn't you be, why are you on Facebook right now? Um, so I, I think that's, that's the biggest thing is trying to wipe out the distractors and, and actually be able to focus on what you're doing day in and day out because you don't have a set, set schedule and, and you're right. Nine to five, while it can be uh, monotonous and while it, it can get really, really old, some people function really, really well in that structure. Um, I, I don't know that I would necessarily be one of them. I, I don't know that I would function real well at a cube every day. Um, I, I tend to think I would go crazy, yeah. but, but, um, you know, different strokes for different folks, I think. And this, this happened to be one ended up working out for me. It's what I've always loved. I, I was always, uh, an athlete in high school. I was a three sport athlete. So this was kind of the next best thing to be able to stick around when I could play play anything anymore when when i couldn't jump anymore for basketball or when i couldn't do the long and triple jump and track or whatever it happened to be so this is uh this is as good as it gets for me 95 percent of the time uh as matt park the the voice of syracuse orange once said in uh one of our class sessions 95 percent of the time it it just about beats uh every bit of real work real in uh in quotation marks right what the last thing about kind of the stuff you're doing now and then we'll get to some st joe's talk specifically you talk about doing some khl stuff and i've seen you you know whether it's on instagram or twitter or whatever so all these different countries you're quote unquote broadcasting from out of a studio how tough is that because obviously i've only ever done broadcasting where it's live you're on site you're at the game and a lot of big networks, even up to your ESPNs, are doing stuff in studio now from remotely. What's the differences? What are the challenges? How, how do you do that, especially in a league where it's not the NBA, not the NFL, where you might know a lot just already. It's the KHL. You know, you're having a hard time researching for that, I'm sure, too. So what's that kind of challenge like? Well, the, the first thing, I, I'm not, not a huge hockey buff. Um, I, I, I feel like I, you know, I, I do it well enough to where, uh, where I do a good job. So that, that makes it uh, a challenge to begin with. And that I, I would be lying to you if I told you hockey is my number one sport. Uh, it's something that I think with work, you know, you can, you can make yourself, make yourself into, um, into a, a competent broadcaster. I, I admire the hockey guys, uh, guys like Doc Emmerich and, and right here in Philly, Jim Jackson and, and people like that. I don't know how they do it. Mike, when, when they're actually in, in the arena and actually getting to see the guys because it, it just moves so fast and there are so many line changes and, and so many different guys. And yeah, I guess at least um, on the monitor, so you kind of know it's focused for you. And in those, yeah, yeah. And I mean, in, in, in those leagues, you know, everybody's name is, is Dimitri or Yevgeny or, you know, whoever. Um, there aren't a, a whole lot of American players. So pronunciations are, are, are kind of hard. And, you know, makes makes for a difficult time uh, as a broadcaster in terms of of these games. You're relying on a producer in the other room and the pictures that you're getting from a camera crew in a country thousands of miles away. Hundreds of, <laughs> you know, 
who knows, tens of thousands of miles. I don't, I don't even know. I never even actually sat down and, and figured out the, the distance uh, from, from Stamford, Connecticut to, to some of these countries that, uh, that you're broadcasting, uh, not necessarily broadcasting from, but the, the site of the game that you're, you're broadcasting. So, yeah, it's, it's really, really tough. Um, and, and I've done it for, for Japanese baseball, for Chinese basketball, and have, have also done it now uh, for the KHL, for Russian hockey. So it, it's certainly a challenge, but uh, it's something that I, I think if you, you trust yourself enough and, and you believe in your own ability, and if you've done enough games, then, you know, if, if you could do that, you can do anything. You could, you could broadcast games anywhere. I was going to so. say that. And then when you get back to some American names, I'm sure, you know, calling it Joe Smith, a power forward, it's just a dream come true after dealing with some of these pronunciations. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Let's talk Hawks. Uh, first of all, I mean, this is a team. I mean, they're off to a great start. 16-3 and three now going into the game on Wednesday night. Is that right? 16-3, and 5-1 and in the Atlantic 10, and, uh, and on a five-game win streak overall, what is now 12 of their last 13. So, yeah, they're, they're rolling right now. And they, because they, and I just did some quick research. Only one NCAA tournament trip since you started broadcasting for the men. Is that right? Yeah, 2013-14, two years ago. Uh, two pros, actually three pros on the team. If uh, if you count our uh, our multifaceted power forward who could who could also handle the basketball and was one of our top passers. Um, two guys, one in Langston Galloway, who's playing significant minutes right there in New York for, yeah, the, Knicks. for the Knicks. Yeah, uh, Ronald Roberts who has been in and out of the NBA D-League and had been on the Sixers roster for a little while, uh, about a year, year and a half ago, was on the Raptors roster. I believe it was the beginning of this year and was really tearing the D-League apart this year. Um, so, yeah, three pros uh, on that team and and another future pro in DeAndre Bembry, who right now is is one of the best players uh, not only in the Atlantic 10 but but in all of Division One and in all of the country and is uh, a potential NBA draft pick come spring. But we're hoping uh, maybe that, it, that he puts it off and decides <laughs> to come back for another year. So what's the, what's the excitement like? What's the level like? Because this is obviously a very proud program, a very historic program. They've been in a bit of a rut. And now, you know, a couple seasons removed from getting into the March Madness, and now all of a sudden looking good to start conference play and overall record. What's the, what's the pulse like of the program and the fan base right now? Uh, I, I think the, the pulse of the program in terms of confidence level with these guys and this coaching staff, it, it's never been higher. The coaches love this team. Uh, they, Phil Martelli loves coming to practice every day. He's told me that multiple occasions, that this is just a really fun group to work with and a really fun group to work for. You have eight or nine guys in your immediate rotation. So you're, you're bringing three or four off the bench, and all of them are scoring options. And that's something that uh, a couple of years ago, you really didn't have. And that, you know, for the most part, over the course of Phil's career, he's always typically been more comfortable playing, you know, six, seven, and sometimes even eight guys. So this is a, a luxury that he hasn't necessarily had. And he has to find a way to kind of balance minutes for all of these guys. But uh, I think he's done a fantastic job of, of being able to manage the minutes for these kids. And, um, you know, the, as far as the, the coaching staff and the players, I, I don't think uh, confidence has ever been higher in terms of what I've been here because uh, the team a couple years ago, while it was good, it, it ended up making a late push and, and running through the Atlantic 10 tournament and knocking off Dayton and then St. Bonaventure and then VCU in the title game to kind of assure itself of, uh, 
an, an automatic tournament bid, but it, we found out later that they, they probably would have gotten in with an at-large anyway. Uh, so in terms of the program, it, it, it's in great shape that way. I think with the fan base, because there have been a couple years where, where things have started out well and then things have, have gone south, I think there's a, a kind of a, a guarded approach, a cautiously optimistic attitude, if you will. 16-3 and three is great, and an RPI of 35 is great, but what you need to do from here on out with 12 games left and all of them being in conference, you have to take care of the teams that you're supposed to take care of, the games where you're going to be favored, and you need to find a way to, to get a scalp or two in terms of um, being able to grab um, an upset in a game where you're not necessarily going to be favored, like an at-Davidson, uh, an, an uphill road definitely and at George Washington uh, or home against Dayton, which in a few weeks is probably going to be the biggest game that this program's had in the last couple of years because uh, of Dayton's RPI and strength of schedule and uh, a win over the Flyers, I think, provided the, the Hawks do what they're supposed to do, almost means uh, an NCAA tournament bid without actually saying so, is as close to being a certainty as it could be without actually being a certainty, if that makes any sense. <laughs> right. So uh, I, I would say cautiously optimistic uh, among this fan base. But, um, you know, it's, it's a good time to be around this program. Uh, I'm excited, and, and I always am. It's, it's not, like, not like in doing my job there's ever been a time where I didn't want to come to the arena and be around this program. I I love being at St. Joseph's, and I, I said this to someone today in an email that uh, one of my favorite things about this athletic department and about this program is I come to work every day knowing that I'm going to see people that are excited to see me. That are, <laughs> that's that, a nice that are, feeling to have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's fun. You know, you walk into the gym, and and I see our facilities manager Joe Delacy, and you know, hi Matt. You know, what's going on? What do you think about the game tonight? Or I run into our trainer Bill Lukasiewicz, and we talk about the game or we talk about he's a new England guy. We talk about what just happened to his Patriots or, or what's going on with his kids or, or whatever it is. And I, I think that's, that's the coolest thing about my job at St. Joseph's is the, the welcoming atmosphere that, that I've been a part of for almost 10 years where I, I really like the people I work with. Um, you know, it goes without saying, I, 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 I love my broadcast partner. Joe Lenardi. Talk to is, me about uh, him. Yeah. yeah. What's it like? Because yeah. he's obviously, people see him. He's kind of like the groundhog comes out, but a month later in March, you know, for the brackets, they see him nationwide, but you get to work with him on a nightly basis. How's that, uh, how's that relationship? It's great. It's really great. Joe would joke with you and it's not even really so much a joke that from January until mid-March, I probably spend more time with Joe than Joe's wife does. <laughs> so, um, in order to be able to do that, you have to be comfortable uh, with the person that you're working with night in and night out, because you know, I, in a seven day week, I probably see Joe four or five days out of that week, two games, a radio show. And then if we happen to bump into each other at practice or in a film session or whatever it happens to be, and we'll usually text back and forth, uh, typically about, about the game. We, we traded a couple today about UMass tomorrow night, uh, and the way that, that UMass gives up points because they, they don't really play a whole lot of D. Uh, so you know, that, that, that made for an uh, interesting conversation. But in terms of advocating for, for me to, to actually get the promotion that I got, uh, both Joe Lenardi and Phil Martelli were, were really, really huge and really, really influential in that. Um, and and I'm, I'm grateful and indebted to, to both of them for the rest of my life uh, because they actually had the, you know, the, 
the trust and and the foresight to to actually say, hey, this this kid at 25, 26 years old knows what he's doing, and and it'll be uh, eventually be a good experience for our fans. So Martucci, Lunardi, Martelli, you're like an old uh, butcher shop, an Italian deli or something from the 30s. It sounds like consonants optional there, Janella. <laughs> consonants optional. That's uh, that's that's what we like to All say. Right, my, but go yeah. ahead. No, I was I was gonna say just just going back with with Joe uh, in terms of his work, you know, I I, I kind of tend to always know what's going on because he's sitting next to me with his Excel spreadsheet open with with teams color coded and who they play that night and the system that he has for this. I one of these days I'm gonna have him try and teach me. Uh, I don't know that I actually have the uh, <laughs> the intellect to be able to understand it. <laughs> I might need. Uh, I might need to take, he actually teaches, uh, it's an intercession class. And I think they had it again this year. It's called Fundamentals of Bracketology that they, they have through St. Joseph's where he actually teaches people kind of the formula that he's developed for kind of figuring out what the committee is going to do in terms of how they select seeds and at-large bids and stuff like that. So really complex process. I'm not sure I'll get it all in the first try, but uh, yeah, I get I get an, an, an up-close, front-and-center view uh, of that. And the other cool thing is in, in getting to work with him, with his tournament guide that he ends up putting out before the tournament uh, on the 68 teams, I've gotten to be a part of that and, and end up writing most of the capsules on the Atlantic 10 teams because those are the teams that we see and that we you know, hope to know by the end of the year, hopefully know like the back of our hand. So it, it's cool being able to work with a guy like that who – you know, is at the forefront of college basketball. And, and just like Phil Martelli, when, when all comes, all is said and done, when, when the chips are down, when the day is over, is just a regular Philadelphia guy, a regular guy from the neighborhood who happens to have a, a really unique job and is grateful for it and appreciative of it and, and does a really, really good job uh, at, at doing it day in and day out. Because it's not just during college basketball season for him. His first bracket, it's ridiculous. The first one he releases if memory serves, is in, in like late August or early September. Jeez. They, they ask for one. It seems like it's earlier and earlier every year. But he does a fantastic job. He's a great friend, a great broadcast partner, and, and somebody that I hope I get to do games with for a long time. Give us a little dirt on him. Has he ever admitted to, is there a, like a 16 seed one year? He just has no clue about anything and just says, you know what, I'm putting him here. I have no idea. Or does he, does he always know his stuff? For the most part, he always does know his stuff. Uh, <laughs> I think he would tell you that VCU, the Final Four year, would be uh, would be one of the mistakes that he made. Right, uh, a little glaring quote, omission. Yeah, his quote was that they couldn't guard him, um, <laughs> and I think they they ended up, they ended up misunderstanding it and saying that he said something along the lines of they couldn't guard his wife or, or something like oh, that. Geez. But uh, but he always clarifies that and says no 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 Matt Matt they uh, I said they couldn't guard me so that was one of them. Uh, I'm trying to think. On some of the others, uh, Drexel a couple years ago, where where he thought that they they definitely should have been in, and and they honestly with their resume they should have been in, but they they didn't get in for whatever reason. And then uh, Temple this past year, where they should have been in, but uh, honestly uh, again it just seemed like the it was an oversight by the committee, and and that's going to happen. But yeah, I, I would think VCU is probably the the one that sticks out. He would know better though. He he has all that stuff stored, but. He's usually within one or two every year. Yeah. He's, had, he's he's had a couple of perfect years, so um, he he works really hard at it, and uh, there's nobody better at doing it in my mind. 
Now I'm looking forward to it uh, coming just a few weeks around the corner. All right, Matt, we finish up every show with the fun five. It's going to be five uh, quick questions that are a little bit off the beaten path. So we're going to get uh, your thoughts on those. You ready? Sure. Cool. First one, how long would you last flapping the Hawks wings at a St. Joe's game? <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> uh, I would hope because, because I have decent triceps. <laughs> I would give myself a solid 15 or 20 minutes. Oh, better and, than me, I think. Yeah, because that, that motion is all triceps. And I, I know the guys who have done it, and uh, my hat goes off to them. There's a reason that, that they end up getting a full scholarship for the year or, in some cases, the two years that they end up doing it. Those guys are awesome. Um, our, our Hawk from a couple of years ago, Timmy Higgins, who still works at uh, the university, is a really good friend of mine. And, and my hat goes off to guys like him and – and, and every guy that's done it, it's it, for my money, it's it's the greatest mascot in college. And uh, people always say it's it's the greatest in the Big Five, the, the City Six. I, I think it's the greatest in all of Division One. But you know, I'm a little biased. All right. Well, it's, it's it's the physical aspect really puts it over the top. Uh, you mentioned Big Five. Your pick. This is question number two. Uh, either Big Five or A10. So I'll give you both sort of the official conference and the unofficial conference. What's your favorite road gym to call a game out of that group? Big five without question. It's not so much a road gym. It's unless you're playing Penn, uh, but the Palestra. Palestra, yeah. If and and I can't. Have you been to the Palestra? I haven't. No. It's when you walk in, it just it screams of history. When when you walk around and you notice all the tradition and the pictures and the newspaper clippings and and the plaques and the trophies and the other night was the 60th anniversary of the Big Five. And they had all kinds of players from from every decade since the Big Five has started um, that were that ended up being out there. So you had guys from from 60 years worth of, of Big Five college basketball and and guys that, that I grew up watching, like Lionel Simmons, the L train and Lynn Greer from from those great Temple teams that, that John Chaney had with the, that fantastic matchup zone that they used to run. And, and just players like that, where it's it's such a great tradition. And uh, the, the saying is always corners um, in a big five game, basically where the palestra is so full that, that even almost the aisles, the, the, corner, uh, the corner aisles are almost filled up all the way up uh, the bleachers in the palestra. So to, to be a part of that and to, to see a building turn in one direction or another when a team makes a run, hmm. there's nothing like that. It, it's fantastic. And then uh, for the Atlantic 10, this is, this is pretty easy. Anybody that's ever been to the UD Arena at Dayton, that that is a fantastic atmosphere. You know what though? I, I'll go UD Arena with uh, the Siegel Center close second because not not only with VCU, it's the students that are really really passionate, but Dayton, it's everybody. It's it's the boosters to the students to the guy at the corner store to the guy behind the cash register at Skyline Chili. They love their basketball. And I think it's evidenced every year by the fact that when the first four starts in Dayton, those playing games, yeah, or the first yeah, four games, yeah, they're mobbed. Yeah. You can't get tickets. They sell and out. And they like look, every they year. look fun on TV for these schools that really have no connection most of the time to the city. No, it's great, and they love their they love their basketball. That that's all it is, Mike. It's a it's a blue collar town with a lot of hardworking people that appreciate good basketball, and I, I think that's that's the best thing about it. That's one of my favorite places, and not only in the Atlantic 10, it's, it's bar none one of my favorite places in college basketball to do a game because it's always loud, it's always tough to win, it's only ever happened once, 
uh, with St. Joseph's in the seven years that I've been doing games there. And it happened uh, on a bank three by Langston Galloway, uh, <laughs> basically toward the end of regulation um, on, on a shot that I... He, he would tell you that he probably tried to bank it. There was no chance. I don't think he I, that he thought he was banking that three. But They, they often don't. Yeah. Um, all right. So Philly, obviously. So I got to ask, what's your cheesesteak of choice? What's establishment is question number three. What's your, your cheesesteak joint? See, everybody, if you're touristy, you go Pat's or, or Gino's right. or, or Steve's or, or Jim's. Or, I'm, a, I'm a Delisandro's guy. It's in uh, like the Maniunk Roxborough area off of um, 76, off the Schuylkill Expressway. They do uh, more like a shaved steak um, where it's, you know, it's finely shaved and, and um, you know, kind of really done to precision. Um, so they've, they've actually grown. I discovered that through uh, another play-by-play friend of mine uh, named Ari Wolf. that's uh, a Philly guy as well that does stuff for the NFL Network. Uh, Ari, Ari introduced me to D'Alessandro's, and uh, it's been a favorite ever since. Yeah, so Delisandro's getting a plug. Starbucks double shot espresso got a plug. You're just like uh, brand awareness here, guerrilla marketing. Well, you just you need your uh, your director of marketing to get on the horn. And yeah, start unfortunately, to, start to actually unfortunately, you're ta- you're talking to him. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> director of marketing, CEO, CFO, COO, Mike Janelle. Yeah, I need a bigger business card. Um, question four in the fun five. Uh, one of the cool things about you getting to do your serious stuff, I get to see it all the time. You get so many pictures with just these celebrities that are going into the serious studios to do something else. And you're always able to grab a picture with them. It's a selfie, or someone else is taking it for you. Uh, non-sports. Who's the who's your favorite celebrity you've been able to meet? Just kind of coming across that you've been able to share some time with. Oh, hands down, it was it was one of the first big ones I ever met, and probably still the biggest one. Paul Rudd. Oh, one uh, of my favorites. Yeah, I I mean just just a regular guy. When when you watch him on TV, you, you figure that he would kind of be like that. And, stopped and, and talked to anybody who wanted to talk to him. I caught him kind of on the tail end as he was walking out the door and just, just quickly asked him if we could snap a picture. And he was great. And, you know, let me take like two or three of them just in case the first one didn't work and, and sat there. And honestly, if they hadn't pulled him away, probably would have had a conversation with me. Just uh, a down to earth guy and seemed like somebody that listened to him talk, listened to a, a town hall with he and Michael Douglas, listened to the two of them talk and just seemed like, he's really appreciative of, of where he's been able to, to get to the position that he's been able to achieve. And it, it, you could see, it's just, just his personality that comes out in the movies that, that he does that, that just seems like that's the guy that he is. A lot of his characters are just kind of, uh, an offshoot of the, of the person that he actually is, which is, you know, uh, a down to earth, funny, kind of a smart ass, regular guy. Right. Somebody you want to drink a beer with and watch a sporting it, event. Exactly. Exactly. A guy that you would love to hang out with. Yeah, and he's a, if I remember right, a, a pretty big sports fan too. So uh, Yeah, Kansas City, I think. He's a big Royals fan. Yep. Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a big Royals fan. That's right. right. Bringing it right. back to sports, the final question for the podcast and for the fun five. I like asking this of uh, play-by-play broadcasters and you know beat writers as well. But if you could have covered any sporting event ever, you get the microphone, you're right there, you pick the sport, you pick the time, which one would you have wanted to be there for? Wow. Oh, wow. Any sporting event, any time. Well, being a Philadelphia guy, I, I, I got to be in Philly for it. Uh, but it's the only championship that I've seen during my lifetime. So it, it would have been uh, the Phillies run to the World Series um, back when they ended up ended up playing the Rays. Um, that, that, for me, 
you know, thinking growing up and having to deal with 93 and crying on my living room floor as a, <laughs> as a nine-year-old kid or whatever. I, yeah, I guess I was nine at that point when, uh, when Joe Carter took Mitch Williams deep, yep. wondering if something like that would ever happen. And then, you know, watching Allen Iverson put the Sixers on his back, um, you know, one, you know, being able to, to do what he did to take them to the finals against the Lakers. You know, it happened a handful of times. The Eagles got to the Super Bowl when they finally gave McNabb a, a franchise wide receiver in, in T.O. But the, the one time that it did actually happen, you know, Phillies and in, uh, in the Rays uh, in that World Series. And, and years are years are blending together at this point. Oh, uh, the right? 08 World yeah. Series, because 09 was the Yankees and they ended up they ended up getting bounced by the Yankees. Um but to be able to be a part of that would have been something I, I feel like that would have been really cool. So that would be one. Um, and the other one, probably, honestly, that, that final series that I mentioned with Iverson, because that was outside of AI and an older kind of past his prime to Kemby Matumbo. That was a ragtag bunch of guys. That was Eric Snow. Was like, and Was Theo Ratliff still on that team? Theo Ratliff. Yeah. Actually, well, Theo Ratliff ended up getting hurt. Oh, okay. So... Theo Ratliff ended up tearing up his knee, if memory serves right, was out for the year. Um, but you had yeah, you had guys like Eric Snow and Raja Bell was was their big big spark plug off the bench. And Jumaine Jones was a rookie out of Georgia, you know, who could give you positive minutes on offense. And guys like Rodney Buford and just really really random people on that roster. Where it was like you know, George Lynch too. I'm, mm. I'm a big North Carolina guy. And George <laughs> Lynch was. George Lynch was kind of the the garbage man, the the lunch pail guy, the do everything type of guy on that team. So that that would have been a fun run because those guys that that city during that time, my brother was in medical school down in down in Philadelphia when that was going on and the electricity in that city when that was happening was something else. People were nicer to each other. People were just there there was a unity. <laughs> Hard there, to there, do there, in Philly. In Philadelphia. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. We threw we booed Santa Claus and threw snowballs. And, <laughs> I had to let the yeah. New York bias in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So stop <laughs> just don't don't let people think that that, you know, the the snowballs the snowballs Santa Claus thing has been uh is overkill now at this point. Yeah. It's been overblown to was, the point yeah. ad nauseum where One it, time, it needs to 50 go. Fifty years ago we and, can move past. And inevitably, somebody on a national broadcast once a year or however many times a year is always like, oh, well, they're booing. Well, they threw snowballs at Santa Claus. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks. <laughs> that, that, really, that, that took a lot to pull you pull out of the old bag of tricks there. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right, Matt Martucci, man. Thanks for coming on. Plug, plug what you want to plug. Where can people find you online, on social media? Where can they hear your calls? Where can they check you out? Uh, Twitter is at Tooch, T-O-O-C-H, 975. Instagram at Tooch, T-O-O-C-H-P-X-P for play-by-play. So at Tooch, P-X-P. And then uh, website is mattmartucci.com, although it still needs to be updated. It hasn't been updated in a little while. Uh, S-J-U-Hawks.com to, to check out uh, any one of the St. Joseph's games. Just click on uh, a live link to, to stream some audio. There will be like a headset uh, next to the game listing, uh, you know, an, an animation of a headset that you click that says listen live. So we'd love to have you. We'd love uh, any constructive, positive feedback. Negative feedback is also encouraged because I can always uh, <laughs> I can always improve, too. But, um, yeah, really appreciate it. Good to catch up with you. And uh, 
We'll talk to you down the line. I mean, that was great. Yeah, stay on the line after uh, we go off the air here. We'll wrap up uh, ourselves off the books. But in the meantime, again, check out Matt Martucci, and we're hoping to hear him deep into March this year for some more St. Joe's basketball. In the meantime, make sure to check out MikeJanella.com for all previous episodes of The Mike Janella Show, as well as where to find information on the great outro music you're hearing right now. Matt, thanks again. Go get yourself some sleep, man. Thanks, Mike. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. Catch us on iTunes, Stitcher. Make sure to give us good reviews and all the stars, and I'll do better next time. See ya.